fall. It means there's a crisp chill in the air. It's time to gather wood for the season's first fire, and the leaves are piling up outside. But along the coast of South Carolina, fall is kind of like summer, only cooler. Fires are simply for roasting oysters, and the only raking you might do is in a sand trap of one of our many challenging golf courses. Tap now to discover the joys of fall on the coast of South Carolina, or visit fallinsc.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade, and welcome to Energy Matters, where we want to help you save money to use technology and to live a more sustainable lifestyle. And in the studio with me, my co-host, uh, the Honorable John Noel, former state representative from the Georgia legislature. I mean, John, there is a difference between being sustainable and being green, uh, right? I mean, there's a debate kind of about uh, about how know. green you I, can be. and I, I, you know, I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah. Uh, but then we don't agree on everything. But I wouldn't agree with that. I think you can. I think you're both. I think if you are a person that uh, feels like uh, being sustainable, or that is sustainable, or wants to lead a sustainable lifestyle, you are by nature green. You must be. Yeah, you know, you know there's uh, a number. I mean, people throw the word green around. Oh but, boy. Yeah, but and sustainable. Uh, there's a, a cool article that I, I found on a college website uh, about what color of green environmentalism mm-hmm, are you? Mm-hmm. Are you bright green? Are you light green? Are you dark green? Or are you gray? And I think probably most of our listeners haven't really thought about that. I mean, they may be going, okay, I want to be more sustainable. I consider myself a green person. But when you start getting into the shades of green, you know, am I really a bright green person that, uh, you know, that in in its simple simplest form, a, a belief that sustainable innovation is the best path to lasting prosperity? I mean, we talk a lot about sustainability on this show. Are you light green, where you tend to emphasize lifestyle, behavior, consumer change as the key to sustainability? John, I think I'm constantly emphasizing this as, you know, driving an electric car, being on a time of use rate, putting solar thermal on my Winterville home. You know, I, I, I emphasize to people that action is, is important. Mm, yep. Leading by example, you do too, right? You've got uh, you've yeah. got this stuff on your well, house. that it's a mutual admiration society in this particular instance because I am grateful that you promote this and are the real pioneer, in my opinion, on the Public Service Commission to to do this stuff. I in my own life, all I want to do is basically get as close to living off the grid in Atlanta as I possibly can, and and using as little uh, water as I can, and and just reducing my carbon footprint as much as I can. Those that's that is my ethic. And I'm not going to put a label on you, but the dark greens believe uh, in in you know taking control, mm. direct control over one's life and surrounding. Mm. Uh, and you know that would be going that's, off the grid. That's yeah. that is a dark green behavior. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 maybe a nerdy one too. If you sit there and look at your iPhone all day and look at 
you know, when you're off the grid, what your solar production is, how much, of, what are the batteries contributing, those sort of things. I mean, there's a, there's a nerd aspect to this. If there were a bright green, there might even be an Amazon rainforest uh, frog green, like neon green. I would love to be that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can find more about this on my Twitter feed at Tim Eccles. And where are you at on Twitter, John? Uh, at New Energy Guy. Well, in our studio today with us to talk about uh, an aspect of, uh, of of being green that would be 100% renewable energy for the Athens area is Carrie Ritzler and Michael Songster. Michael, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Tim. And Carrie, it's good to have you in here as well. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, so I'm intrigued with this 100% Athens. I know Atlanta introduced this, and it's going around the country uh, and I've got an opinion about this that I'll share uh, later, but uh, I'd like to hear kind of what what motivated you know this movement to happen. So who do we start with? I can start. This is Carrie. Um, personally, started thinking about this a couple of years ago. I've been working on. Um, advocacy to combat climate change and reduce greenhouse emissions um, for a couple of years. I was working on things at the national level and, you know, looking at these shades of green is really interesting to me because I can see parts in all of the different shades of green that apply to me because I really feel like sustainability as a people and as a world needs to be at all levels, um, at the national level, at the state level, and at the local level, and at the individual level. Um, And so the 100% Athens is really my attempt to make some change in my town, in my city, and I saw a lot of other countries, um, a lot of other countries, but also a lot of other cities in the country, in the United States, setting these goals a couple of years ago, and I thought, now's the time for Athens. How about you, Michael? So, I think that Carrie's right. I think we, we both we both feel about that same way, but in addition to that, Athens has uh, a, a strong and robust um, growing Office of Sustainability headed by Andrew Saunders, um, and I think that he's already doing a lot of the work to find those places within the Athens um, Clark County government where energy efficiency and adding renewables on site um, can make a difference, um, largely in many cases for the bottom line of the operating budget of Athens Clark County. Well, which is a beautiful marriage, right? The bottom line, the bottom line, and uh, environmental sustainability happen to go hand in hand. That's right. And Athens-Clark County, I think the folks that are involved in, in getting this going have a complete understanding that we can't, we can't go this alone. We're not an island in the energy system. Um, but there are certainly things that we can do, things we can take control of um, within the county um, to make this uh, more of a possibility moving forward. So there's some talk about resources. Like, how do you, how do you build the resources required to actually go 100% Athens? Well, every city that's done this has taken a different route, and it depends on the geography, it depends on the population, it depends on what the people want. Um, And I don't think that we, at the outset of setting this goal, are ready to say this is what exactly Athens is going to look like. but because technology uh, changes, right? I mean, batteries technology changes gets better all the time, right. um, and that's what you know. That's what we're looking for, and that's certainly what I believe is going to happen. I think this is more of an inevitability, and we want to be on top of it um, as far as the transition to renewable and clean energy. You know, but the thing that I love about 100% and the idea of 100% is that it is for everybody. And if you've been in Athens, if you've been, you know, if you're any part of our community, then you know it's a strong community, and that's why I love living there, and I can't wait to see what it's like when everybody gets together to work towards this goal and accomplishes this goal. Um, 100% doesn't leave anybody out. It's everybody. It's the whole community um, working together. 
That's fabulous. And and, one, of the, yeah. one of the second things that you want is statewide regulations that support the transition. And I'm a state official. John served as a state official in the legislature. You're certainly going to have to have partnerships with the legislature, with uh, with entities like the Public Service Commission and Georgia Power. How do you see that materializing? Well, I think that a lot of um, this kind of work depends on developing relationships um, and, you know, not looking at uh, politics as a one party or another party, but looking at it as we are all working together. Um, And so we would like to see the Public Service Commission push for policies that will promote uh, the kind of energy solutions that we want to have at the local level. You know, when you go into things like the um, negotiating with Georgia Power and over rules at the upcoming IRP, um, you know, and things like that. And I, I don't have personally all the solutions. I'm a school teacher and a mother. I just believe in this cause and I'm trying to learn as fast as I can. Um, and I hope that by reaching out to people and working with people and listening to people that we can come up with, um, you know, we can develop those sort of relationships to come up with the policies that are going to get us to our goals. You know, John, the Georgia Solar Association, one of the things they've done so well is they've learned to speak Republican. They mm-hmm. used the word, uh, the phrase economic development a lot. Mm-hmm. They they resisted coming to the commission and pressing us with uh, democratic ideology, let's mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, All that viral crazy stuff. Yeah, and trying to persuade us. And the fact is, it's worked. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got quite a bit of solar. So, you know, what advice would you give? to our friends here in Athens on effectively lobbying a, a, a right now, Republican Public Service Commission and a Republican General Assembly. Economics are a powerful thing. And uh, the beauty that we as environmentalists and, uh, and greenies uh, have on our side now is the trend is our friend. Uh, solar power is getting cheaper, a lot cheaper. The curve on solar is just like falling off a cliff. Uh, batteries, a lot cheaper. And as batteries get cheaper, as solar gets more cheap, uh, solar efficiency goes up, battery efficiency goes up. And so uh, mothers and, and teachers, like my friend here, uh, Carrie, are um, finding that what they're advocating for actually makes economic sense. There was a day not many years ago where it was a harder, it was a harder lift for our Republican friends on the other side of the aisle that were all about the money. Uh, and now it's those that say, oh, well, you know, actually the money adds up too, and we can oh, well, we can do the green thing, too, is this wonderful marriage. And, and that's what we, I think that's the beauty of, the, of what they're going after. And we're in this environment where the government's completely abdicated responsibility. Trump's pulled out of the gum climate, the Paris climate thing. So, so cities, uh, good ladies like her, have been, our hands have been forced. Yeah, somebody hand him that blood pressure cuff. Would you mind? <laughs> um, Carrie... Uh, how do you respond to that? Uh, you know, uh, here I'm asking you to learn to speak Republican, uh, but you live in Athens, Clark County, one of the the bluest, you know, islands <laughs> in our state, smallest county in our state, and one of the bluest. Uh, and certainly, as you're speaking to county leaders, you don't have to speak Republican because they're not. But when you get on down to Atlanta under the Gold Dome, I, I think it just means you being nimble, versatile, mm-hmm. smart, crafty, right? Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I I have to say for myself, all I can be is honest to what I am and who I am um, and try to treat people like 
like people and uh, that want to help people. And I think that's what anyone in government is trying to help. And I want to find a way for them to help me. Well, stick around because right. we're going to talk about honesty. Can a politician talk about that, John? I, we're going to talk about that in our next Power segment. People, baby. Continue talking about 100% renewable and talk about effective ways to influence public policy and lawmakers and commissioners. I'm Tim Eccles, and you're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Welcome back to Energy Matters. Support for Energy Matters comes from Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, a law firm established in 1949 with the idea that building committed business relationships with clients while providing exceptional value helps achieve their goals. We want to welcome back Carrie Ritzler and Michael Songster of 100% Athens. So, guys, I um, a lot of people say, well, this is pie in the sky. And uh, how would you get this accomplished? And I... I'll throw that question out. I'm sympathetic to it. I'm actually I'm would endorse it. But how do you do it? Yeah. So I'm I'm not going to pretend that that's not a, a big challenge. But I, th- I think the basic path has kind of been established as to how you go about getting it done. Um, the first way is to convert to electricity for your energy needs. So electrify everything that you can. Um, Number two, everything has to be significantly more efficient, and and we're not talking about you know ten percent or twenty percent of more efficient. But, You're talking but, hyper efficient. Yeah, hyper efficient. Yeah. So we're we're building buildings that would be things that you could put rooftop solar on and essentially get to net zero. That type of right. efficiency. And Georgia so, Tech's doing that right now. Right. So yeah. th- those those types of um, those types of changes to our mindset on efficiency, um, and then. Third one is to build lots of renewables. Um, so wherever we can, we put renewables within the within the city limit of, of Athens Clark County. And I, I think that that's important for cities to do to to shoulder as much of their energy generation as they possibly can. I mean, otherwise we're essentially asking rural areas to industrialize and and supply our needs, which I don't mm-hmm. think is entirely fair. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, grid scale solar is going to be required, but you know, cities should take some of that. I believe. Carrie, what are other cities doing? Have you, are you studying studying what they're doing and kind of modeling after after them? 
So there's so many different kinds of, of um, models and ways people have done it. You know, some cities rely on things that we really don't have access to, like a lot of um, hydropower. Yep, um, that's right. Uh, you know, but you, you have a city like Georgetown, Texas, which is the same. They worked with renewable developers and utilities um, to make big investments in large solar and wind farms. So that's the way Georgetown's doing it. As Michael said, we want to produce as much as we can on site um, right there in Athens uh, as much as possible. Um, you also have Atlanta. They're an example of a city that's kind of still figuring it out. They've set their resolution, but they don't. Uh, they're they're working out the details now. Um, the the one thing that we think we we want to use to kind of start kickstart the this transition in Athens is um, we want to devote a, a percentage of the SPLOST 2020 uh, funds that are about to uh, be voted on next year um, to develop a fund for efficiency and renewable projects um, and and it would just uh, create a fund that uh, government entities in our city government it's actually a, a unified government could um, could grab onto to pay for the additional cost of, say, instead of buying a new uh, truck that uses gasoline, buying an electric truck. Um, so we would just have a sort of completion fund. All right, jargon alert for, for people that. that aren't nerds like me. What does is, what is SPLOST mean? Oh, sorry. Uh, that's Special Purpose Local Option Sales Tax. Um, it's a one-cent tax that's one or one-percent tax. Assessed in a certain area. Um, sales tax. Yes, yeah. right. Uh, and um, I don't even know how many years Athens has been running a, a, a SPLOST, um, but it's used for different things. It's kind of a big pile of money, and then everybody says, hey, I want some, I want some, I want some. And we're saying, we want some. some. Yeah. <laughs> Dedicate it to uh, 100% Athens. Not Quarter all of cent, it. Half cent. What kind of what kind of some piece of it? We want ten percent. You want ten percent. We call it ten percent for a hundred percent. All right. So you want a tenth of one per, of of one cent. We want a tenth of, of the one cent. One cent sales tax. And how much will developed. that generate? Is it? <laughs> What's it estimated to generate? Yeah. We, so um, our our proposal was actually for seventeen. The request was seventeen million dollars. Um, the length, the term of time for the next SPLOST for Athens-Clark County has been shifting. Now they're actually talking about a 10-year SPLOST that may be $260 million. So yeah, you, talk, you start talking money, you start talking like Tim Eccles wants to hear about the money part. I mean, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. what he lives let's, let's, for. Yeah, let's, Show let's me talk, the money. Yeah, let's talk about yeah. the money. So so at the at the current um, proposal of $17 million, which, as Kerry said, could be used um, at the county's For large capital projects. Yeah, it's only it's only available for capital projects. Okay. And so you we can we can Purchase battery electric buses with it. We can we can renovate. There's a big whack right there. We can okay. renovate. We can renovate um, buildings and make them more right. energy efficient. We can put solar on buildings. We can okay. you know we're replacing a roof on a building. We can add insulation before we put that roof back. We'll put on. a green roof on it. You can put a green roof on it. Yeah. Um, okay. So. So that this projected that the county would save approximately 1.3 million dollars per year in operating costs. So, so let me, let me tell you what your millions will buy. Yeah, All right, I just cut the ribbon on what will be the largest solar array east of the Mississippi River. That's a big solar array. 2,400 acres in Twiggs County, not too far from Warner Robins Air Force Base. That 2,400 acres, and that's a lot of land. That 2,400 acres will generate about 200 megawatts. And for our listeners, think about a super Walmart. Think about the two Walmarts in, in Athens that you know use about a megawatt apiece. A super target, a megawatt apiece. So when you start looking at the load around Athens-Clark County, 
you're going to need a lot of power, a lot of power. So that 2,400-acre solar array, the capital investment on that is about $230 million to build out a, an, an array that would power 200 megawatts. So, you know, what I want to suggest to Athens-Clark County is is working with the Public Service Commission, working with Georgia Power, and doing something like we're doing with this commercial and industrial solar array that's, that that is attracting companies to Georgia. And that is, you're going to pay a little bit extra on your bill, and Georgia Power is going to build out the array and supply it to them. So if Athens-Clark County decided that they were going to take a special tax if they wanted to do this, and that all the residents in Athens-Clark County would be getting power from solar arrays that may or may not be in Athens-Clark. They may be in an adjacent county, something like that, where the land's a lot cheaper. 2,400 acres in Clark County would cost you an absolute fortune. What do you think about that? Sure. Well, and and I think that we're talking about something a little bit different than that. And if you talk about adding a little bit to our energy cost in order to fund a portion of, you know, a grid-scale solar project, um, we're eliminating one of the lines of our triple bottom line that this is all about, which is we're not going to get the savings within our own community from the efficiency and from the generation. So I I, I think that, that it is important, like I said, for communities to shoulder some of this responsibility. I don't you know, at all imagine that, that you know, projects like the Twiggs County Project aren't going to be necessary, and we're all going to be involved in that. But that's not the only thing I think we need to be doing. You know, what's mm-hmm. incredible about the Twiggs Project and the Butler, uh, Georgia Project down uh, in Taylor County is because we're building it at such scale, it is actually decreasing everyone's electricity yep. ever so slightly. Cost, yeah. So not only is it not subsidized, it's actually lowering It's a lowering negative impact on your, rates. Your rate. yeah. So yeah. to me, as a regulator, man, I want to do more of that. I want to build more big solar right? Uh, so that the percentage of our energy in Georgia that comes from, re- comes from re- renewables mm, is right. larger, right. and everyone's bill decreases. I mean, to me, that seems like the triple win, John. What yeah, that, there's no question it does. The, the problem comes in how much baseload generation have we, do we have sunk cost into, and that's, that's, that's where things get dicey. And also, as, as, uh, as some of your listeners will be aware, they've replaced all the light bulbs in their house to LED. Their home energy bills aren't going up, and their building energy bills aren't going up. And what's happening in the country is our energy consumption has flatlined instead of increased. You just assume like the the economy goes up, the energy consumption goes up. It's not. Thanks to efficiencies, thanks to Athens, and all of us as individuals attacking our energy use, our consumption is flatlining or going down, which means we don't need all the new generation, which means we better retire a lot of coal plants if you want to build all those uh, all those solar farms. Yeah, we only have five plants left, and I don't think we'll ever build another one here in Georgia. So, Michael Thank and Carrie, as we wrap up this segment, what kind of response are you getting from county county leaders, from business leaders, from university leaders? Are you getting some, some, uh, some love from them? 
Um, we we got a lot of love at the uh, climate rally um, back in September, I believe it was. Um, we had uh, our um, mayor, the upcoming mayor and commission who are going to be taking their seats in January, um, are strongly in favor of passing a 100 percent uh, renewable energy resolution. Um, so we've felt really good about the reception we've gotten from them. John, certainly county and city leaders are important, especially if you're going to be putting a tax on folks. They have to sign off that on that. They have to they have to feel good about that. But I mean, clearly working with these larger entities like the power company, and we've got in, in Athens, Georgia Power, and the surrounding EMCs can help make it happen i mean do you envision a day can where, help, we, or you can where we've got these cities that run it, that are running on 100 or should they be happy with 50 uh they should be happy with 50 if they got zero and they should be happy with 100 when they get to 100 because uh we got to get to 100 um i think i think environmentalists have realized that that uh, this administration and the government right now pulling out of climate paris and all this other stuff has forced the hands of of, of entities like businesses that want to do good that cities that want to do good and citizenry that want to do good and that's why this is getting pushed and fortunately i think they're do i think what carrie and michael talked about is exactly right they want to make hyper efficient their government operations drive down their usage and drive up their energy uh consumption energy production. And so when you do those two things, you're getting close to 100. Well, Carrie and Michael, good luck in your efforts uh, working here in athens Clark County. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks, Thank John. you. Well, you've been listening to Energy Matters, and we'll come back and talk about effective ways to lobby public officials when it comes to solar and all things energy. I'm Tim Atlas. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by the Racy Anderson Highway. Welcome back to Energy Matters. Support for Energy Matters comes from the Ray, an 18-mile stretch of Interstate 85 running near LaGrange to the Alabama line. The Ray is an independent nonprofit that seeks to catalyze the interstate corridor and its exits into a global model for regenerative transportation. Executive Director Allie Kelly believes that roads can be safe, sustainable, and regenerative. See more at theray.org. Thanks, John. Uh, John is my co-host. He's a former state representative, John Noel. In our studio, we have Kodiak Sauer, uh, who is a volunteer with Citizens Climate Lobby, and Dr. Mark Farmer. And Dr. Farmer, I think we initially met when I was getting a master's in the Grady College. <laughs> that uh, may be, Tim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been here, I've been at UGA for quite a while. Yeah, a while back. So, you know, Citizens Climate Lobby is a group that that I interact with on a fairly regular basis. I speak at some of their events, uh, and I would say they quote lobbied me. Nothing wrong with lobbying. It's just a, a person letting their opinion be known about something. But I have been. Uh, I have been impressed, Kodiak, by the fact that Citizen Climate Lobby 
Uh, they're friendly. They're warm. They're caring. They they they're not they're not picketing out in front of my office. They're they're taking a a softer or more gentler approach. Is that intentional? Well, here at Citizens Climate Lobby, we really believe that any any um, solution to these problems really has to come bipartisan, and we are a nonpartisan organization, nonprofit. We say, you know, lobbyists, but we're all here volunteers. We're not getting paid for any of this. Um, and so Citizens Climate Lobby likes to take the approach that really relationships matter in, in politics and in life, and that building relationships is how we solve problems. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Mark, I mean, you have, uh, I've seen you up, you know, at the chapel doing events around campus, and you agree with Kodiak in terms of the, the approach? Absolutely. I mean, Citizens Climate Lobby is really focused uh, at implementing uh policies at the national level. And so we regularly meet with our local representatives of Congress. I've met personally uh, with representatives of uh, Rep. Jody Heiss multiple times. I, uh, about a couple of months ago, had a sit down one-on-one -on -one with Doug Collins. And so one of the things that Citizens Climate Lobby is laser focused on is moving the needle in terms of carbon emissions uh, for the future. And we're not, uh, as Kodiak said, focused on one political party or another. One of the things that we are, take great pride in is that we currently have uh, a major role in the formation of the largest caucus, uh, bipartisan caucus in the U.S. Congress, and that's the Climate Solutions Caucus, which currently has 90 members. Interestingly, in order to be a member of that caucus, you have to join with a member of the other party. So this is the only caucus I'm aware of, which is equally split between Democrats and Republicans. How did John, know that? Hmm. You, know, you were a legislator, and there are all kind of caucuses, hmm. right, in, in a legislature. Think of balls. Can you, can, <laughs> can, can you kind of uh, define and differentiate caucuses for our listeners? Yeah, so generally it's uh, formed around a uh, uh, a common interest. Uh, could be could be uh, uh, ethnic makeup. Uh, could be uh, a, a business or environmental interest. So uh, a caucus could be uh, the Georgia Legislative Black Caucus. It could be the Citizens Climate uh, Lobby uh, Caucus, which would be interested parties in that. I love the I love the fact that it is a bipartisan caucus in the in the in the federal level. I did not know that, and I think that's the most effective way to go about it. You know, there's been all kind of comments about the you know, civility being gone in politics. I mean, without referring to any specific election, I just think about these times that we're in. Uh, it, it's a little bit discouraging to me that, you know, that people won't sit down and talk, that they won't build relationships. These things take time, but I almost feel like, some of these folks think in their mind they're doing the right thing. They're being effective. But being effective is important to the Citizen Climate Lobby. And do you guys have ways of measuring that? Do you, you know, do you have, you know, leadership who are training your volunteers in how to do this? And, and how does that work? So as far as the effectiveness, that's really um, that's really what we're focused on. We're laser focused on passing this this. Um, bill into law, the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. And in order to pass lasting, strong legislation, it has to be bipartisan. So you talked about polarization in our politics these days. Then that is such an issue. Um, and 
you can't solve problems that way. That leads to gridlock. And even if you do end up passing something like this, this most recent tax bill or like Obamacare, the other party is constantly talking about repealing it. They're trying to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And so, in order to have something last that is that is effective, you have to do it bipartisan. You have to build relationships. You have to reach across the aisle. That's a good point. You know, John. That's a good point. You know, you were elected to the Georgia House of Representatives, and you've you've run for. Uh, other other offices. I've you know run for the Public Service Commission, and you're out there on the trail. You're talking, you know, you're talking to people. You've got the the base, right? Yep. Your your party base. Yep. My environmental base. Your environmental. Are there other bases out there? I mean, for me, yeah. I've got my religious base, right? Mm-hmm. So as a mm-hmm. father of seven, being very mm-hmm. active in the pro life community, having mm-hmm. seven children myself, mm-hmm. that's a part of my base. No question. Um, yeah. And those people. The people in your base, they yeah. want to know that you're still with them, right? How, how does that's that right. work? And mm-hmm. as you as you speak to your base, that's, that's, that's a challenge. A, that's a, it, it doesn't have to be. Um, it doesn't always have to be incongruent. I'll give you an example. Uh, when I'm in rural areas, especially in South Georgia, I would talk about the aspect that solar would have on their own lives. They'd say, "Well, you know, if I farm mighty hard, I might make five hundred dollars an acre on a good on a good year." Um, but if I but if I lease this farm to a solar f- farm, uh, then I can make a thousand dollar lease payment an acre, and I don't have to do anything, and that's reoccurring revenue. And so, f- so it was able to. You, you, when you talk about that, you talk about clean energy as a way to bring income to rural areas. Uh, that is a little different. And so there's a, there's an opportunity to take an otherwise potentially, in my case, I'm a Democrat, potentially Republican voter, bring them over, a conservative voter, bring them over, and uh, and, and not abandon uh, my environmental friends. I, th- I think these things don't have to be disparate, and I, and I, that's what I really like about the cl- Citizens Climate Lobby, is they're bringing, they're bringing this idea that we are all in it together. You know, Mark, uh, words matter, and I know I went to an event that you had at the chapel that featured a congressman from South Carolina. And this congressman um, was unelected. Uh, I mean, he he served, and then he was basically put out of office by, you know, in a Republican primary. And many people felt like that he got too far out there on the environmental limb, so to speak. And he was he was he was too much in the Democratic Party camp on some of these issues. And so, I mean, what do you say to Republicans like me, right? Who you know who who want to be good stewards. I mean, I'm I'm an evangelical. I care about this world that God's created. I want to take care of it. You know, I want to, you know, I want to do these personal activities like driving an electric car and putting solar on my home and going on a time of use rate and using LED bulbs. I want to do all that, but I, I sometimes feel like people are trying to paint me into a corner and make me say certain words and make me agree and use certain phrases and I almost feel like they're trying to trap me. They're trying to, you know, get me out of office. What do you say to uh, Republican officials like me? It's really troubling to me, Tim, that uh, this issue has become so polarizing and that when we talk about base uh, and the supporting people of of a particular idea, um, that we are locked into this uh, mindset. 
for me, what I always tell people is, you know, a molecule of carbon dioxide doesn't really care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. An infrared photon of heat doesn't really have a political ideology. And the person you're talking about, Bob Inglis, who was a six-term congressman from South Carolina, uh, basically his uh, stepping out from his uh, orthodoxy was solely based on his concern for the future of humanity. Uh, If I could just read one quick quote uh, from a politician in 1990. We all know that human activities are changing the atmosphere in unexpected and unprecedented ways. Together, we have the responsibility to ourselves and generations to come to fulfill our stewardship obligations. Well, that was the late President George H.W. Bush who said that. Wow. You know, when George W. Bush got elected, I was reading a Time Magazine article that was showing all the different energy savings, energy efficiency stuff in his West Texas house, John. Uh, (laughs) You know, from geothermal stuff to solar to all this efficiency. And I I never heard about that at any meeting or or saw about that any other time. No, and you wouldn't have guessed it because he gutted everything when he got in there. uh, Other than that that Time Magazine article. So, uh, So... you know, it's it it is hard trying to balance uh, these issues. I, th- I think this is worth us talking more about. I want us to continue this conversation. You know, in our next segment, John. As we wrap up this segment, though, I mean, your thoughts on what Mark said about the difficulty that officials are in and how people try to pin them down and make them say things. Uh, Mark and Kodiak are making excellent points. I mean, that's this is the problem. Uh, and 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 our recent elections have helped, you know, illustrate the fact that there is this. Uh, you don't see a lot more crossover votes. Uh, you don't. You're not finding people that are willing to uh, to to sort of take a middle ground. It's either my way or the highway, and and that's uh, that's not helpful to our planet. It's not helpful to 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 humanity. But kudos to these guys for taking it on and to that entity for for doing it. Hey, when we come back, I'll, I I want to hear um, Mark and Kodiak about your you know your top five concerns. You know, as you work in this in this space. And I also want to play a little game called Ask the Enviros uh, and get y'all's opinion. Uh, uh, <laughs> We're ready. Some questions that a professor from the Vermont School of Law asks. You're listening to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles. John, one of our sponsors for the show, Row Insulating Company, is doing a great job in and around Athens, being able to do a lot of what we talk about every single week on the show. You get, every time it gets cold, every time it gets hot, it's always a, it's always that attic that's the problem. And uh, you could attack windows, and that's going to cost you a cold fortune. It is insulation that can solve the problem. Hey, if you want to get this fixed, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854. Row Insulating Company. Row. Hey, it's Commissioner Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters. I want to tell you about Kevin Rowe and Rowe Insulating Company. If you need insulation anywhere within 60 miles of Athens, Georgia, you need to call 706-795-2854. It's important, isn't it, John? It is the most important thing you can do in your house. It's the low-hanging fruit of everything that we talk about on Energy Matters every single week. That's exactly right. Yeah, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854. Rowe Insulating Company. Get comfortable.
Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm John Noel, joined by our host, Commissioner Tim Eccles, and our special guests, Kodiak Sauer and Mark Farmer of the Citizens Climate Lobby. Uh, gentlemen, we've been talking a lot about uh, how to do climate change the right way and, and, and advocating it to our elected officials. But then that always gets to policy. And you know, there was a reference earlier to this uh, carbon-free and, and dividend legislation, as you all are calling it, uh, the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. Holy moly. Give us the short version on that one. So, the Energy, the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act um, is the result of, of years of effort um, from both the Citizens Climate Lobby and, and um, bipartisan, the bipartisan work of the Climate Solutions Caucus. And basically, in short, we, we just want to price pollution and give the money to the people. That's, Ooh, that's all okay. it is. Um, it includes a border adjustment, so we're not disadvantaging American companies. Um, and and that's the that's the short of it. And so, seventy legislators have signed on to this uh, in the, at, the, at the federal level. Uh, so it's seven right now. Oh, seven um, okay. growing. Uh, but uh, so there's three Republicans and four Democrats that are current co-sponsors. Um, it's the first bipartisan uh, climate change fighting proposal since 2009. So it's a it's a it's a big deal. Super cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we had mentioned uh, Bob Inglis earlier. Essentially, this is the same uh, basic premise that Bob Inglis had uh, back in 2009, which is what uh, unfortunately got him booted out of Congress. And so we hope that this is an idea whose time has finally come, because the goal here is to take a free market approach to dealing with the issues of carbon pollution, uh, not to ask for more legislation or more regulations, but basically to have people pay their fair share for the uh, costs of, of energy use and to modify people's behaviors based on those uh, Ooh, actual you costs. Are talking yeah, so, Commissioner let, let me, Eccles' language. Yeah, let, let me, let me Free give market. you my concern here. Let me give you my concern. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big promoter of nuclear energy, and we're building uh, a nuclear power plant that is carbon free, by the way, completely carbon free in its emissions. And oftentimes people come to me and say, what about the waste? And uh, and yet there are NGOs, non-government organizations, nonprofit organizations that are actively working to keep us from being able to do anything constructive with that, quote, waste, whether that be storing it out at Yucca Mountain uh, out west or reprocessing it like our French friends do and essentially recycling it. And so the back end of the, the fuel cycle or the back end of the plant where the waste is, it gets clogged up. I mean, excuse the analogy, it gets constipated. And and as a result of that, people feel like, well, we don't need to do any more nuclear energy because we can't even take care of this waste. So it seems to me that the priority, if we're prioritizing spending, it should be to keep a promise that an earlier Congress made and let's take care of this nuclear nuclear waste and and enable nuclear energy to, you know, resume in our country at a brisk pace, and then less worry about the CO2 later, uh, because we, we, we help ourselves by getting carbon-free nuclear energy out there. It is baseload. It runs all the time. 
Uh, I mean, what what about that, Mark Kodiak? I mean, am I wrong in thinking that nuclear energy is a part of the solution? So those NGOs that you're talking about, that's not us. The reason why um, big industry and, and companies like ExxonMobil have endorsed our proposal is because we are technology neutral. We don't care how you solve the problem. We just want a true cost comparison, put all the price in, take all the subsidi- subsidies out, and compare the, compare the um, different types of fuels on the market. Let the cool. market decide it. Yeah. Um, and you said nuclear probably has a, has, a, has a role in this. I mean, I brought these data. Um, and, you know, we, like I said, we're technology neutral, but certainly, I mean, every projection that I've ever looked at shows that nuclear is a big part in the future. I mean, it, it, its role ch- expands if you, put on, if you put a fee on carbon, if you internalize that externality. Yeah, and I'm, like I'm said, getting to look at this chart, and if you go to my Twitter feed, I'll have this chart up here, hashtag Energy Matters. I'm at, I'm, I'm at Tim Eccles and... Uh, John, you're at uh, New Energy Guy, and are yeah. you guys on uh, on a Twitter handle you would like to share? Sure, at Kodiak Sour, K O D I A K S A U E R. And could you put that chart up uh, as well? Absolutely, Kodiak. I mean, I'll John. I mean, what about my theory about let's you know let's let's take care of this earlier promise, or do you think that train's left the station? Nothing we can do. Too expensive. I uh, can't go down that path. I look at the uh, that's an interesting chart that they're showing, talking about when you start pricing carbon, that nuclear becomes more attractive. That's probably the most compelling chart I've seen ever in the last couple years, at wow. a minimum, on nuclear. It makes no economic sense in any other respect. Uh, and so I just, I, no, I'm anti-nuclear, and I think the waste is a big problem. But I, what I really like about what they're going after is they're trying to find a free market approach to it. And, and moving the nuclear stuff aside, there's so many other things we can agree on, uh, particularly with renewables and with battery emergence of battery technology. I think I'd rather attack that stuff first. And Tim, you talked about the expense, and I think that's one of the reservations that a lot of people have is, this is going to cost me too much. This is going to bankrupt the United States uh, economy, when in fact, uh, all the projections show that uh, moving to these new technologies will actually be beneficial for most aspects of our, our, our economy. And in terms of the cost, the uh, Energy Innovation and uh, Carbon Dividend Act starts out at a base load of $15 a ton. Uh, that may sound like a lot to your listeners, but it basically translates to $0.15 cents a gallon at the pump. Uh, we've all seen gasoline change prices change more than that in the past year. So it's And then it's designed to phase in uh, up until the point when we're either hitting our uh, projections in terms of carbon dioxide reduction. Once we hit those, uh, basically this whole act has a sunset, built-in sunset clause. When we reach a point uh, uh, in which we are not generating that much carbon dioxide, then the amount of fees goes down to the point where it becomes zero. So we are not talking about another uh, program that's going to last for 100 years or become part of the permanent uh, landscape of the, of the U.S. Uh, tax system. It's really designed to address a single problem, and once that problem is addressed, then it goes away. So you're technology neutral. You don't really care whether it's solar or wind or nuclear. You just want to see the reduction. It could even be burning coal if you find a way to sequester that carbon dioxide before it gets up into the atmosphere. Absolutely. So, John, interesting. You know the Kemper plant over in Mississippi. Ooh, uh, what, what a success story that was! Yeah, went went down for those uh, listening. Uh, the Southern Company was building uh, on a 
coal field, uh, yeah. essentially a, um, a a new technology, coal gasification, mm-hmm. where you wouldn't burn coal in a traditional manner. You would gasify it. It's a cleaner way to use the resource. Yeah. But they eventually just gave up on that and turned it into a gas plant. I mean, to be fair, President Obama, you know, was in support of this mm. uh, I- I- at the beginning of his term. Mm-hmm. And I think he read the tea leaves that that the environmental left in our country, uh, they didn't want to have anything to do with coal at all, no matter how you sliced it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, John, your trip to China, you mm-hmm. saw you saw unscrubbed coal plants with particulate matter coming mm-hmm. out. We don't have any plants like that left in yeah. Georgia Yet the environmental left paints coal with all the same brush. It's all like that. But, mm-hmm. but in fact, it's not true. There are, there are cleaner ways to do it. But Mark, They are being done, though, I don't think. I Mark mean. and Kodiak, I just, I just think that coal, is, its reputation is damaged in our country, and I just don't see it making a comeback for a very long time. And we're not advocating for coal, Tim. I was simply using that as an example that we are completely agnostic as to how energy is produced in the future, with the one exception that whatever energy we use to run our industry, heat our homes, uh, power our transportation systems, that it be as close to carbon neutral as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, let me ask about uh, about efficiency and conservation and storage. Uh, I, I know sometimes people don't see those as green as renewable energy itself, but do you do you all see those as in, as important? Or does that fit into that technology neutral box? So as far as energy efficiency is concerned, um, that really gets to the individual responsibility um, aspect of this problem, where th- if you put a price on pollution, um, that changes people's behavior. So we put a price on pollution. Mark talked about it. It'll raise gas prices a little bit. Those industries aren't going aren't to front that cost. They're going to pass that cost down to the consumer. Um, but that's why we take all the money that's generated. That's why we give it right back to people. So if I give you a $50 carbon dividend check and your monthly energy expenses go up by $30, you're doing just fine. And maybe if you're civically minded, environmentally minded, or just economically minded um, individual, you take that extra 20, 20 bucks and you use it to be more efficient. So you can, you can replace all the incandescent light bulbs in your house, and maybe the next, next month, your energy prices are only $25 more expensive than they would have been, and you have $25 to do, to do something else, to, to do something to make yourself more energy efficient. Yeah, Free final, market. Fi- final thoughts, Mark? Yep. I agree with what John just said. Free market approach is really what the CCL is all about and what really, I think, is uh, encompassed in this act. And I hope that more of our local uh, congressional representatives, regardless of their political persuasions, can uh, get behind it and do what's right for the, the future generations. Where can they find out more? So if you Quick go to website. the website. Yeah. So the uh, um, website of the CCL is uh, uh, cclusa.org. And if you want to learn more about the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act, go to energyinnovationact.org. And I'm sure you can Google that if you forget. Well, John, great having these two in studio today. Really great. Uh, we've, learned, we've learned a lot, and I do appreciate the approach that you guys take to, uh, to lobbying public officials. I'm Tim Eccles. You've been listening to Energy Matters, where we want to help you save money, use technology, and live a more sustainable lifestyle.
fall. It means there's a crisp chill in the air. It's time to gather wood for the season's first fire, and the leaves are piling up outside. But along the coast of South Carolina, fall is kind of like summer, only cooler. Fires are simply for roasting oysters, and the only raking you might do is in a sand trap of one of our many challenging golf courses. Tap now to discover the joys of fall on the coast of South Carolina, or visit fallinsc.com.